Hello and welcome to Super Fancast. My name is Chris. I'm joined by Matt, and this is season two, interlude four, and we're going to be looking at the year 1991. Is it just me, or is this one of the greatest musical years of the last 40 years, Chris? It's, it appears that way. Yeah, I wasn't aware that it was, to be honest. I probably could have before this, before researching this episode. I probably could have named a handful of albums that came out in 91. Probably could have guessed a handful of albums that came out in 91. But turns out that shitloads came out. Oh my days! It just, just endless like list of classic albums. They're ridiculous. There seems to be like a, a quite more than one really awesome scene was kind of either starting or at its pinnacle around that period as well. So yeah, yeah. Oh my days. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll go into all the all the big stuff that was happening, but like. You know, this is when grunge was really taking off. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. I don't want to take all the content away from because <laughs> there's going to be plenty of talk about grunge. I think. Uh, yes. Well, also, Chris' favorite. There was a lot of shoegaze around this time as well. This was the uh, this was the big big year for shoegaze, wasn't it? People started gazing at their shoes. Nineteen ninety one. Yeah. Again, don't want to steal all the content, but of course, Loveless came out this year, and that was mm. you know, my bloody Valentine's Loveless is is kind of held up as the 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 peak of of the shoegaze movement for you know whether whether you agree with that or not it's not it's not necessarily my favorite album I, I can take the word necessarily out of that sentence actually it's not my favorite album but uh it I get it and I get why it was important and it yeah came out in ninety one so yeah no no one gazed at their shoes before Loveless apparently not before we uh, get too deep into what was going on in nineteen ninety one we'll be taking a month off after this episode so we're back on the 4th of november with the start of season three we're gonna have a slightly different format for season three Um, we're not going to give too much away now but we'll shake things up a little bit and in the meantime if you want to stay in touch with us you can follow us on all the socials and sign up to superfan news at superfannews.net and become a member of the community there we want your opinions your music reviews your concert reviews and we want to know everything everything you have to say about music. And on that note, I guess, uh, music news. I wouldn't mind rabbiting on to you, Matt, for a couple of minutes about things that are happening in Ye's world. <laughs> have you seen Have rabbit, you seen Ye rabbit, in the news? Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. <laughs> uh, no, I forgot all about Ye. Oh, yeah, because he's been he? a bit quiet, hasn't he? He used to? to be the He used to be like the Pegasus on top of the music media mountain, but now he's he has gone a, bit, a little bit quiet. But this last week he's been in the news for a few different things. Good, th- good things. Um, not awful things. No, not awful things. I mean, not not like the stuff he's not normally the news for. No, he's, see, he was in the, in the news for his school. Have you seen this? Have you seen Donder Academy? <laughs> what is he? Is he like a? Does he is, he? is he like a headmaster of a school? He's not in. He. I don't know what. I don't know his position. But no, he's not. He's not teaching. No, he's, he's hired professionals for that. Imagine if he was your teacher. That would be bizarre. Like every, wouldn't it? Yeah. Every lesson would be about how great he is. Like, you know, do a thousand word essay on the greatness of Kanye West. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like a really religious environment. So a lot of the focus of the school is uh, around yeah. uh, worship and right. oh, okay. gospel okay. singing and things like that. He, he has his own, doesn't he have his own church as well? I think he does, yeah. He does that Sunday service, doesn't he? And I think that's that's his own his own church or something. The school it opened up end of last month. It's it looks pretty small. I've seen pictures like Skyview pictures of it, and it looks like a pretty 
like physically small place so i don't know how many kids they have there but um i thought it was primary age kids but then i read that adidas had signed a deal to sponsor the donda doves basketball team so that's not primary age (laughs) and the school uniforms are designed by yay and the gap and that's been in the news as well this week because he's he's been angry at the gap he's been spouting stuff about them so yeah it's not all good news this week parents are required to sign an nda before their kids attend it's not it's not a good sign is it (laughs) God, how would it do in Ofsted? Oh, I know, right? So anyway, that's happening. Oh yeah, the Donda uh, School Choir. The Gospel Choir is a really big thing. Like I I went on the Donda Academy website and there's only about five pages on the website and one of them is all about the choir and applying to be in the choir. So I fully expect, this is a prediction, Chris prediction, I fully expect that in years to come, the Donda Academy Choir is either going to release an album produced by Ye or as like a bare minimum 100% certain on this one they'll appear on a, on a yay track they'll you know backing vocals oh, from the donda choir but i but i think Definitely. that he's probably gonna groom them into a into a record deal <laughs> he's, he's gonna shape them into his um backing band it'd be like school of rock i think so yeah i i, I think so maybe he doesn't know it yet but that's what's gonna happen well good luck to him like yeah. to all the kids <laughs> he's been in the news for other stuff as well this week but not massively music related so anyway have you had anything going on? Heard anything exciting? In all honesty, the only news I can tell you is stuff going on uh, in 1991. <laughs> Nothing else exists. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit the same. But I have been listening to quite a lot of Deftones this week. Ooh. Just because they're good. Really good. I'd, ne- I'd never listened to their debut album before. I've been listening to that a little bit this week. And it's really good. It's a little bit different because a lot of the effects and the... Sort of the, the the sounds that that pad out Deftones music were not not very prevalent in that in that debut record, and Chino's voice is a lot cleaner and a lot more youthful. He sounds really young. Came out in nineteen ninety five, and yeah, he sounds quite young in it, but it's still really good. I mean, it's still clearly Deftones when you hear it. But I'm very used yeah. to White Pony. I listened to White Pony a lot when I was growing up, and White Pony is is far more heavily produced. Yeah, yeah. But it's a phenomenal album, White Pony. Really is. Like, um, oh yeah, classic, classic. And Chino, Chino Moreno is just an amazing guy. He really is. He's one of those people. He's got that like a uh, that Pete Steele quality, where I could just sit and watch interviews with Chino all day long. He's just such an interesting mm-hmm. dude. He's not what you expect from him, I guess. And he's just got so many different layers, so many different projects. So passionate about music, and yeah, yeah he's just a great guy. Yeah, he's very very creative, isn't he? It really is, yeah. I mean, I don't know all his projects, but I, I know Team Sleep. I've listened to a lot of Team Sleep in the past, and I really like that. As you can probably imagine, it's it's very much my sound, and I like a lot of what Deftones do. And yeah, dude, uh, I posted a picture on Twitter of him today, actually wearing a Beyonce shirt, and I found another picture of him wearing a different Beyonce shirt. So he's obviously a Beyonce fan, and I happen to know that he was a massive fan of my vitriol as well. Yeah, you know he's got good taste. Yeah, I hope that um, Beyonce wears a Tudor Moreno <laughs> shirt in in response. Well, sadly, she probably would because that's that's quite trendy, isn't it, for people who aren't into rock music to wear rock t-shirts. <laughs> I was going to say Nirvana were quite big in this this year, weren't they? Nineteen ninety one. You know, I mean, who would have thought that they were a band? I thought they were just a a fashion label. Oh, totally. I mean, the amount of people that wear the the smiley face T-shirts. Yeah, or the um, what's the name of their third album? In Utero. 
Yeah, in utero. The, yeah, the in utero. I don't even logo, know what it is. You know, yeah, it's like a like an angel with his organs showing. Yeah, that's quite trendy, isn't it? Sometimes you see really bizarre ones, though. You see like someone like uh, I don't know Justin Bieber wearing a carcass shirt, and you think you definitely, definitely never listened to Carcass. It's really sad. <laughs> So strange, yeah. I, I have not listened to anything outside 1991, but it's although I have, I don't know if we can, well, of course, we can, we can do what we want. This is our podcast, isn't it? I can say, <laughs> I can say, I've been listening to BBC Radio 6 and really, really loving it. It's great, isn't it? Radio 6, it's just always interesting all the time. Like, they were playing stuff by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. I, I was, I used to be really into them. Uh, then they had like a, a whole hour of. Like reggae music that was played by punk bands. It's really interesting niche. Oh, cool. And <laughs> one of the songs that they played in that hour was from Björk's album that she recorded when she was seven years old. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, she seems to be like popping up in a lot of episodes now with us, isn't she? Well, Björk uh, is trending a bit at the minute. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. When, when was her last about, album out before, before the current one? It was about four years ago, I think. Okay, she Maybe just seems longer. very yeah. She seems very much uh, in the mainstream at the moment. A lot of people are talking about her, and so yeah. But yeah, Radio Six, check it out. There's lots of views that you can have about the BBC, and that's fine. But I will say, BBC Radio Six is is my go-to at the minute. Okay, so we've just looked at the Donda Academy website, and Matt, what have you discovered? Oh my, my goodness, there's very little information on the website but what information there is it's very interesting so it's tells you the daily schedule so here's here it is full school worship core classes of language arts maths and science lunch and recess okay so it sounds like a you know like a typical religious school sounding pretty good Um, so far and and then enrichment courses including world language visual art film choir and parkour sorry what was that (laughs) Yeah, so so um, for for those who don't know what parkour is, well, it's basically just running off roofs, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's. Well, okay. The, the official Wikipedia definition: parkour is an athletic training discipline in which practitioners attempt to get from point A to point B in the most fluid way possible. Yeah, and and there's a lot of pictures of of men just kind of jumping over roofs and jumping over fences. Yeah, is that an enrichment I mean, activity? Would you say? Yeah, I'd say it's enriching for sure. Yeah, just it's not what I'd, what I'd be expecting my kid to be doing at school. He's a revolutionary, isn't he, Kenya? Yeah, he is. It's like, if the kids are going to be climbing the walls and jumping around, at least just <laughs> make it a part of the enrichment. I guess so. Yeah, I was climbing on roofs oh. at that age. So. <laughs> what was part of your school enrichment? Well, they, they were. They didn't call it enrichment. They called it being a little shit. <laughs> they had a very different approach. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, look, 1991. 1991 was 31 years ago. Oh, feel old. And the most significant thing in music, I think, has to be said, was the uh, commercial success of grunge. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big event. Yeah. Yeah, lots lots of the grunge bands that that saw success in 91 were not necessarily new bands, but the year 91 definitely, for a few different reasons, which we're bound to talk about, but the year 91 did shoot uh grunge into the mainstream and put the world's yes. eyes on it and go look at this that's been happening for a few years now but no one noticed it yeah. look at it you got nirvana and you got pearl jam probably in the same three months i think 
Uh, and Soundgarden as well debuted in 91. I don't think they debuted, but they, Bad Motor Finger was out that year. That's right, yeah. Screaming Trees had an album out that year. Temple of the Dog came out uh, in April oh, of, of 91. Of course, yeah. And that's that introduced everyone to Eddie Vedery, didn't it? Yeah, so just to, I want to talk about Temple of the Dog a little bit, and then, we, then we'll sort of move on to the rest of the year. But we mentioned it a few months ago in our Pearl Jam episode. For those that haven't listened to that episode, well, go back and listen to it for a start. Uh, it was a supergroup that released an album in honour of Andrew Wood, who was the frontman for Mother Love Bone, and he died a year earlier. But one thing I hadn't, we hadn't mentioned, I don't think we mentioned in that episode, but I've noticed it in, in researching this one, is the time spans. Andrew Wood died in March of 1990, and then by August of the following year, Temple of the Dog had formed and released a, an album, Pearl Jam had formed and released an amazing debut, and both of those bands featured Jeff and Stone from Mother Love Bone. So they moved really fast on that, you know. I guess they had young energy, but um, I mean, that, that was a, a lot going on for them in, in 18 months. Yeah, definitely. I think they just wanted to, to make music as much as they could and as best they could. And yeah, Seattle was, is, is where it's happening. It was for 91, yeah. God, yeah. Now, a friend of the show, Billy Corgan, released his debut, or, you know, Smashing Pumpkins released their debut in 91. Gish. And I know we abuse Billy Corgan because he's a moron, but I do actually quite like Gish. It's a, it's a good record. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cannot get into... It sounds sad, but I cannot get into Smashing Pumpkins. It's mainly because of him. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. He, he, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's I just... I, I can't get on with his voice. I mean, to me, listening to his voice sounds like if you're scalping yourself with an electric shaver, it's like the, the noise that's <laughs> inside your head inside your skull that's that's what it sounds like to me gish is a heavy album though uh, you should give it a try gish is quite heavy and, and you can listen to it for the guitars yeah okay i'll, I'll do that the, the the stuff that they got that smashing pumpkins got yeah high up in the charts for was a lot poppier than than that early stuff yeah. you know gish is a real a real dirty album i like it um i haven't listened to it for a few years but but i do remember you know really getting into the guitars on it it does seem to come up in a lot of classic 1991 album lists yeah and then outside of sort of releasing music, Freddie Mercury sadly passed away in November. Mm, yeah. Nine months after yeah. releasing Innuendo. Yeah, that's really, I mean, that's really sad, of course. Yeah, absolute legend. But also Innuendo is, a lot of the songs, you know, he, he's clearly expressing that, you know, life's very short and he knows he's going to go very soon. It's a decent final album for Queen, mm. I think. Yeah, although strangely wasn't their final album. Um, no, so the, it was a really interesting year for them, 1991, because they released Innuendo in February, I think. Yeah. And then Freddie obviously knew he was on the way out. He, he knew that he didn't have long left. So he spent a lot of that year recording vocal tracks, laying down as many vocals as he could. And then when he passed away in, in November, uh, the band obviously mourned and, and whatever. And over the following few years, they put songs together using those vocals and then in 1995 they released their 15th studio album which was all original material with freddie on vocals Whoa, that's amazing i had no idea that's that's amazing i've not listened to made in heaven but i'm planning on it now that i know the background behind it yeah and a cool cover with freddie doing his big art you know fist in the air yeah on the same day as freddie mercury's death do you know who else died on the same day as freddie mercury no who who else died Eric Carr from Kiss, 
He was the second drummer for Kiss and the drummer at the time of his death. And uh, yeah, I didn't write down what he died from, but yeah, he died uh, on the same day as Freddie Mercury, totally overshadowed by Freddie Mercury's death, sadly. Well, if, you, if you're going to die as a rock star, that's not a good day to die, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, he didn't think that through, did he? In in the UK, at least, um, Brian Adams was number one for 16 weeks. I mean, that would never happen now. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what goes on with the charts. I guess the charts are like changing every day, aren't they? You know, with downloads and streaming. But just imagine like every week, like, oh, what's number one? It's the same song that's been number one for the last 14, 15 weeks again. Oh, like... It's a great tune, though. It is a great song. Can you imagine when it first came out, hearing it for the first time when it came out? And just for the listener, it's um, everything. I, is it called Everything I Do or is it called I Do It For You? I don't it's know. Called, it's called Everything I Do in brackets and then I Do It For You. Like, if you like the song, why not just go and buy the single? Why wait 14, 15 weeks to buy it? You know what I mean? People are still buying it after... Could have been, could have been printing runs. Oh, it could have been. Yeah, that's true. That could, could have, have sold out after two weeks. They do another print run and then... That's very true. Yeah. It was a different time, Matt. It was a different bloody time. It was. It was. It, yeah, I mean, it is a it is a classic song. Yeah, for sure. Also, also quickly, briefly, Freddie Mercury, when he passed away, um, Bohemian Rhapsody got to number one. Oh, that's right. I briefly read that. And at the time, was it was it not the was it not the first time a song had reached number one twice without re-releasing? Yeah, something like that. It it it, it did something that no other song had done. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. Let's see. Richie Edwards of Manic Street Preachers. He carved the words for real into his arm with a razor blade during an interview. Oh, crikey. Uh, that's, uh, have you not heard that story? No, I haven't. It's it's pretty, it's pretty famous um, in Manic Street Preachers lore. <laughs> so Richie Edwards, he's, he's the one who tragically disappeared a few years after this, and they've never found him, which is really sad. But uh, an enemy journalist questioned the band's authenticity and so he carved the number four reel into his arm there's there's quite a few photos on google if you're feeling brave never heard that but i don't i don't know much about manic street preachers but that's uh that's really interesting that's one of the few things i actually know about them yeah interesting guy richie edwards michael jackson signed a contract with sony for one one billion dollars do, do, do. <laughs> and janet jackson signed a 30 million dollar contract with virgin making her the biggest paid female recording artist ever wow first lollapalooza happened oh that's cool i didn't know that yeah launched by perry farrell from jane's addiction also didn't know that is it is it still yeah. is it it's still his venture I don't know. I mean, uh, it first started off as a tour, like a touring show, and the first Lollapalooza included Susie and the Banshees, Nine Inch Nails, and Rage Against the Machine. Oh, wow, times have changed, haven't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Well, Kenny Rogers um, opened his uh, first Kenny Rogers Roasters. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say this. Yes, it was originally a wood-fired rotisserie chicken restaurant. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not changed that much over the years. It's it's still just a chicken restaurant, isn't it? Yeah, opened opened his first Kenny Rogers Roasters in Florida. Have you ever been to a Kenny Rogers Roasters? I haven't. Have you? I've I've been to one. I've not eaten in one. You've been in one? No, I've I've stood outside and I, I took a photo because basically, well, I was in Kuala Lumpur a few years ago. This is like two thousand and eight or something. Right. I was in Kuala Lumpur with a girlfriend and we found this Kenny Rogers Roasters and I'd never heard of Kenny Rogers Roasters, but we thought it was hilarious that there was, there was a chain of restaurants yeah. in, in Asia 
that were named after Kenny Rogers. So we took a photo of the sign. We had a good laugh and then we went on with our lives. And then a, a year or two later, I was talking to an American and he was like, yeah, that's that's a chain of restaurants, mate. <laughs> that's that's a thing. And I discovered that because I, I just thought it was this random restaurant in Kuala Lumpur that yeah. named themselves after Kenny Rogers. But no, it's it's his thing. But I think that they're just in the US and Asia, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I thought they were just in the US. But so that surprises me that they were in Kuala Lumpur. I think they're all over Asia. I think he's got I think he's got stores in like Thailand, uh, Malaysia, Singapore, places like that. Does he go and open them up himself? Cuts the ribbon. I don't know how heavily involved he's in Kenny Rogers. I'm, maybe he's very heavily involved in Kenny Rogers races. I just don't know, Matt. I want to know everything about this. Well, you can track one down. I, so I did a bit of Googling on them, actually, um, a couple of days ago. And I found some, some news articles from the mid-noughties that were saying... In fact, they were like early noughties that were talking about... Kenny Rogers Roasters have bought up some some real estate in Southampton and two other places in the UK to open restaurants. And then there's not, I can't find anything else about it. So I wonder if they had planned on coming here and then sort of done their research and thought there's no market for it in the UK. They don't like their rotisserie chickens here. So so they decided against it. I mean, I'd, I'd, definitely, I'd definitely go. I'm just looking to look at the website now. Malaysia, Philippines, United Arab Emirates... This is chicken done right. There's, there's nothing here about Kenny Rogers though. You could put you could put someone you could put anyone on a chicken restaurant and like say, oh, this is Tom Jones, you know, burger. <laughs> Tom Jones burgers. <laughs> Kylie Minogue's kebabs. <laughs> All right, Matt. What else happened in '91? So Oasis played their first ever gig at the Boardwalk Club in Manchester. A few albums or songs were affected by the Gulf War that was going on. So songs had to be censored or edited. Oh, right. I found a few examples, but one example I can give you now is um, Massive Attack releasing their song Unfinished Sympathy, which is a huge song. But they had to change their name to Massive due to avoid a radio ban of the word attack. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's very odd. Also, Should I Stay or Should I Go became a number one due to a Levi Jeans advert. Oh, right. Which is pretty cool. Doesn't really happen so much anymore, does it, that the the advertising has that much of an impact on the charts? But it has happened several times in the past. Yeah, it has has happened. I mean, I remember when Elton John had a song as part of some football advert in the UK, and then that song was was number one. Like, are you ready? Are you ready? That's right, yeah. And uh, Lilith's conversation by Elvis. That was on a that was on like a, a Nike advert or something with footballers playing in a cage, and that became number one. Yeah, um, you had Fat Planet from uh, I mean this wasn't a l- number one, but Fat Planet from Left Field on the Guinness ads. I think there were a lot of people that had never yeah. heard of Left Field, and they and, you know, that song yeah. went mad because of because of those Guinness yeah. ads. Um, you had Babylon That's Zoo on uh, on the Levi's ads as well, Spaceman. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 See, power of advertising. Yeah, good times. And then um, one more big thing was the Use Your Illusion tour by Guns N' Roses. It was 26 months world tour. Ooh. And it was an interesting tour, not just because it was so huge, but also Axl Rose, one of the shows he assaulted a member of the audience um, who was watching the show on a camera because the, the, he, was, he was telling the security to go and confiscate the camera. 
and they they didn't and so he, he attacks the person and then he angrily said on stage thanks to the lame ass security i'm going home then <laughs> he walked off <laughs> oh axel yeah well one record that i wanted to talk about a little bit is probably unexpected because there was a lot of there's a lot of really big albums came out this year i don't need to talk about pearl jams 10 or you know whatever because we talk about it enough already but one record that yeah. doesn't get talked about enough, like at all, <laughs> is an EP called Painful Thing by Catherine Wheel. And I wanted to take this opportunity doing this 1991 episode to, to talk about Catherine Wheel a little bit. And 91 was their coming out year, really, because they, they released their debut in 92. And in 91, they released two EPs to kind of foreshadow that debut. And that's that's how you do it, isn't it? You don't you don't get that anymore. But that's how you do it. Two EPs in the same year, then follow it up with a debut album. Brilliant. Yeah, job done. That's what I want to see. These days, you see seven years of singles and EPs before a disappointing debut album. Mm. Not pointing any fingers, but you just see that a lot. Anyway, that's what Catherine Wheel did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what Catherine Wheel did. And and the painful thing EP was the second that that they released that year, and uh, it didn't actually get as good a reviews as the first first record they put out but i like painful thing a lot more and catherine were just a brilliant band that are massively underrated they don't get the they don't get the appreciation that they deserve uh, in, in my opinion and i'm not entirely sure why that is to be honest they had a pretty short career i guess and and maybe maybe they you know they have slow burn music that if they'd have continued making music perhaps they would have i don't know increased in popularity or something but yeah, they were, for those that don't know, Catherine Wheel were a British alt-rock shoegaze-influenced band. I'd say shoegaze-influenced because actually they are quite, they've got much more of that British alternative rock sound with yeah. guitars that are heavily influenced by the shoegaze movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The lead singer, the front man, Rob Dickinson, has got a beautiful voice. I love his voice. You know who he's related to? I know, yeah. He's a cousin of Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, you you wouldn't have thought so with their voices. They're so different, different. so different. different. Like as a band as well, like the music they're creating, you just think, yeah. Mm. I mean, Iron Maiden would have been massive when Rob first started making music, so he would have he would have known. I come from a family that has like this (laughs) this world class musician. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they did it. They had a following. They had a following, and their first two albums, Ferment and Chrome, are amazing. So the album that this this EP sort of fell into you know, t- two of the tracks anyway went on went on to ferment the other two tracks didn't uh, you know painful thing and spin didn't end up on the album it's both great tracks though and, and chrome their second studio album is one of my favorite albums of all time uh, i i listened to that album a lot but yeah they just don't get the appreciation that they deserve and i just thought oh, i'd love to mention this see this op- as an opportunity to mention catherine wheel and get people into it this painful thing ep it's not on spotify or anything i think it, there is a version of it on youtube um, but certainly all four tracks of it is is uh, is on YouTube for, for listening. Have you had a listen to any of it? Yeah, some of it, yeah. It reminded me a bit of The Cult. Yeah, yeah. That sounds. I didn't mind it. I quite liked it, yeah. Quite catchy, quite catchy riffs. And I think I think the standout thing about them is that Rob has a way of, of crafting a quite a memorable hook in a genre that is not known for its memorable hooks. A lot of the other, yeah. a lot of their contemporaries that were releasing music around this time were very focused on the guitar sound and not on let's create a, a vocal melody that people are going to hum along to. But that's what 
that's what Catherine Wheel did. And a lot of their songs, you know, you can hear that you can hear the influences on the guitar, but you're still humming along to, to Rob's vocal melodies. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They were um they were active on social media earlier this year, which kind of suggested they were making a comeback. Quite a few bands from around this period have this year, <laughs> I think like thirty years on, have decided, oh let's let's make a comeback. But yeah, since they, they started an Instagram account, they've not kind of done anything with it. So maybe it was a it was a false alarm, but that would be cool. Yeah, I've definitely heard of them many times and have, you know, sneaked a peek at them too. <laughs> um yeah, you don't hear very much of them. Um my first album for nineteen ninety one is not really a surprise because I am a Prince super fan, as you might have known. He released the album Diamonds and Pearls in nineteen ninety one. It was his thirteenth studio album produced by the man himself. And uh, it was his first album with his new band, The New Power Generation. Which is, which I think sounds like something from Star Trek. Yeah. Because um, before that, he had the Revolution, which was very distinctive. You know, it was a, it was a very clear lineup that a lot of people are familiar with, and then he completely changed it, and it's, it's very, it's very sort of urban Jack Swing R and B, really in your face, like '90s sound. And yeah, the, the the thing about Prince is like he's impossible to categorize. You know, you can't say, oh, he's a rock artist. He's a he's a funk musician. He, he's this and that. He's just he's just everything all mixed together. And now with Diamonds and Pearls, he added hip hop, but it's not a hip hop album. It's it's just Prince. You know, so you, I mean, you've listened to it. Can you you understand what I mean? Don't you? Like yeah, there's like there's smatterings of of rapping and you know, urban flavors, but it's. It is still it's it's an R and B album, would you not say? Yeah, I would. Yeah, sure. No, I would say that. I mean, R and B is quite a, a broad term. Though, I guess it? it is. Yeah, I guess it is. And um, what I love also about this album, it's it, for me, it's it's just it's never boring at all. There's always something going on, you know. So a lot of artists they repeat sections of their songs. There's practically copying and pasting. And so, like after you're you're two thirds into a song, you basically heard the whole song. You know what I mean? In Diamonds and Pearls, there's none of that. Every section of every song is a little bit different. You know, there's always like little niggly like piano parts or guitar fills or cool vocal harmonies going on. You know, there's there's always something happening, and and it's like he's he's put all his blood and sweat and tears into arranging just just incredible piece of music. Like sometimes the track ends and then oh it doesn't end. Actually, there's another ending. It's going to keep going. So much effort put into this album. I think from from my perspective also, the way that you listen to music can change with every artist and, and every album by every artist. And it's not always the same approach the way that you listen to it. And I would say that Diamonds and Pearls, and maybe lots of other Prince albums as well, I just need to listen to more of his, his albums cover to cover. But Diamonds and Pearls, you, on first listen, it's really engaging. And not yeah. not every album does that. And quite, in fact, quite a lot of albums miss that entirely. Yeah. And even some of the albums that I love the most in life on the first listen it te- you know it takes takes more than one listen to to really get into it but yeah. you know like you said there's so much going on and it's always got you on the edge of the seat it's always surprising you oh what's this bit and didn't see that coming and you don't it doesn't even really matter what track you're on like it's all kind of mm. it can all kind of merge into one for all that it doesn't it's not so important it's just that it's mm. it's an interesting exciting ride definitely definitely an exciting ride yeah it's got some of my f- favorite tracks by prince like thunder and the the title track which is beautiful strolling which is so good and and when people ask for suggestions of songs they 
they should cover. Like I always say, like, oh, I should check out Strolling. It's such an odd tune, though. Strolling, it's not. It's not what. It's not what I expected. It because it's kind of smooth, jazzy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Money don't matter tonight and get off. Just great tunes. And Rosie Gaines is she's part of the new power generation, and she she's got an amazing voice, beautiful, fantastic, soulful, and you know she's not being overshadowed by Prince. They are practically doing duets all the time. They're working together in a really nice way. You've also got Tony M. I don't know who Tony M is, but he is he is rapping on a lot of the songs. It's it's very it's very like early nineties and so it does feel a bit cheesy, but I kind of find that a bit of a guilty pleasure, you know. And he and he's rapping about like having fun and dancing and stuff that rappers generally don't rap about. <laughs> And the other wild thing is, like, for a man that, I mean, he's got so many albums, he released so much music, mm. that mm. The, for people that don't know Prince's music that much, you're still going to find hits on this. Like, you've still got, you know, yeah. Diamonds and Pearls, Cream, uh, Willing and Able, Money Don't Matter mm. Tonight. There's still going to be tunes on there that, that people know. Yeah, I mean, you could probably go to all his albums and be like, oh, yeah, there's tunes on here I know. But, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, it's amazing for someone. This is the 13th, 13th studio release. And there's still still hits on there that, that uh, the layman will, yeah. will recognise. Yeah, so if you, if you haven't really listened to Prince before, then this is a good place to start, I think. It's quite accessible. So, yeah. Well, we're going to move on to the behemoth of Nirvana's Nevermind, because we can't we can't do this album at this, this year and not talk about it. Never, never mind? What's that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, where, yes. where to begin? Where to begin with it? So Nirvana's uh, second album... It was the first with the, I mean, I say classic lineup. This is a band that only had three albums. So it's, it's a classic lineup in that this is the lineup that everyone remembers because yeah. Chad Channing was the drummer for the debut album. Dave Grohl joined for Nevermind. Mm. And really importantly, I think, I think it's fairly important. This was also on a new label. And there's a lot of talk about that and why that was so important around this time in the year of 91, 92, because... A lot of grunge bands prior to this had been signed to much smaller independent labels. Nirvana was signed to Sub Pop, who Sub Pop kind of became the classic grunge label. They signed Mudhoney, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Screaming Trees, and, and loads more. Nice. And Nirvana left Sub Pop at this point and released Nevermind on uh, DGC, which was a part of Geffen, which was a subsidiary of Universal. So essentially they signed to a, signed to a, a, a big label. And that kind of was an indicator to the world that grunge was here. And, you know, this, this yeah. is now, you know, if Universal will sign Nirvana, then who's going to sign us? We're this weird rando band from Seattle. We could get a big label to, to sign us because Nirvana got signed to Universal. So, yeah, it was it was it was quite important. And it's a historic album. Yeah, it's a wild album because I, I've, I first got I picked up Nevermind when I was probably about 15 years old. So, you know, I was late you know it was probably like eight nine years after it was released but um there was still enough people around of my age that were crazy about grunge and i was in love with that album as a as a mid mid teen really in love with it but it's it's a great album because i can go for years without hearing it in fact i'd probably gone for two or three years without hearing it until earlier this year i put it on in the car when i was out for a drive with, with the wife and immediately back in love with it again it's it's an amazing album. It really is. It's much more mainstream and potentially kind of audience conscious. I guess I don't I don't know if I don't know if the band would agree with that or the hardcore fans will be happy to hear it. But I think it's I think it's a fair statement. You know, it's it's more commercially palatable than than Bleach anyway, which yeah. is their debut album. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're very, it's they're very radio friendly in in the in a sense. Yeah, I think so. I think that like a lot of the songs on there are kind of neatly structured, recognizable hooks, riffs that you can hum along to. Tunes like "Smells Like Teen Spirit," "Lithium," "Come As You Are," even po- I mean, Polly's a bit dark, but even Polly is uh, they're structured for yeah, for mainstream airplay, really. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. I was thinking about this album fairly recently because I watched Batman Cinema. Okay. And I personally think it's a crap movie. Okay. <laughs> Where's this going? But it's, <laughs> but it's very dark and it's it's very grungy in its direction. But there's a couple of times near the beginning and near the end where you're seeing Gotham City and it's really bleak and really sad and it plays something in the way. It's like such a perfect choice. It's like, oh man, this this is this is such a gut wrenching, beautiful, bleak song. And so that made me want to listen to Nevermind again. And yeah, it's it's such a great album. I think I'm a maturer music listener now, and that's the second half of that album is far greater than the first half, in my opinion. The first half is what is full of the hits, but the second half with like. Yeah, it's all the singles at the front and at the back end you've got On a Plane, Drain You, Stay Away, Something in the Way. And those tunes are just great. I mean, it, Drain You is never going to be played on mainstream pop radio, but it's it's no. such a good song. Such a good song. Ter- territorial Pissings. Again, a great tune in retrospect. I think when I was a 15-year-old, that back half was was not as important to me as the front, yeah. front half, but, but now it's... it's cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I have noticed that as well. I prefer the back half. I guess yeah. p- partly because the, the, the first half, the, the songs we've heard so many times kind of get a bit desensitised to them, I think. N- not that, not to take the how good they are away. No, I mean, definitely um, Smells Like Teen Spirit. You, you, you're, n- you're never going to hear Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time again, are you? No, absolutely not. No. Um, so there you go. Nirvana's Nevermind. If you haven't heard it, where have you been? My second album is another legend. This is Dangerous by Michael Jackson. That's it. You don't you don't even need to say anything else. We'll just move on to the next album, shall we? Because yeah, it speaks for album. itself. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. I don't know if that's cool to say that anymore, but I don't mind saying that. I'm a huge fan of Michael Jackson. And this album is really nostalgic for me. It just reminds me of growing up that the front cover... I just remember it always being in my living room near my dad's huge hi-fi system. To be fair, the, the front cover is like bloody awful. <laughs> it's really weird. It's, it's just loads of random weird things with Michael Jackson staring at you for for a little for a little letterbox. It is a weird cover. I'd never really thought about it to be honest, but it is a weird cover, especially yeah. after his run of covers for the for the first few albums. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but. Oh my days. I mean, this album was humongous when it came out. I mean, ridiculous. The songs, such hits, the, the videos, you know, they, they had massive budgets. And when the, the videos were, were played, they were played worldwide. They had like a global premiere and everyone watched the video all at once. And it was like a big event. Like, oh, it's the new Michael Jackson video. What's it going to be like, you know? Oh, just so cool. Just so cool. And in this album, he's he's trying to get away from... Quincy Jones's guidance and he's trying to do something that's more his own thing and uh, I really like that actually because everyone thinks about the Quincy Jones trilogy you know off the wall thriller and bad 
and this is totally different tangent isn't it i mean it's it's totally different it's it's like r&b but very very much a rock attitude it's very angsty quite serious in a lot of the songs this isn't an album about dancing and having a good time this is about him like just expressing himself and <laughs> just just being just being a very different michael jackson yeah i mean where do, where do i start to give my opinion there's just so much to say about it is okay so so i'll start with this so your first comment about whether it's cool to like michael jackson i would question anyone listening to our podcast if they don't if they're not into michael jackson but you're a fan of this podcast which suggests you're a fan of music <sighs> yeah I, I can't i can't even comprehend how anyone can not be a fan of michael jackson uh, yeah it's i just can't even get my head around that to be honest it's it's bizarre to me how anyone can not be a fan of him he's arguably one of the greatest greatest pop musicians that ever lived and it's not, it's not even arguably is it it's it's, it's objectively it's yeah objectively yeah yeah it's true scientific yeah. fact absolutely yeah i think dangerous is a is a great album i think it's got a couple of flaws but i do think that the songs that's many of the songs on it are some of his best songs i think yeah. will will you be there is, is probably my favorite michael jackson song ever of, of all his music nice. and it that happens to be on on dangerous there are so many songs on dangerous that that you know even you know heal the world black or white give in to me dangerous jam it's, it's full of full of hits i think that as an album it's you know it's an hour and 20 minutes long this record it doesn't it's need to so be that long, long. Yeah, and there's a couple of tracks that don't need to yeah. be there I think like can't let it get away doesn't need to be on this album gone too soon yeah and and a lot of the songs are just too long there's there is a lot of looping in this album like i said prince doesn't do <laughs> in this there is a lot of some of the songs drag a bit i i've got to admit yeah yeah i think uh, he's he's really riffing around in the first like four or five tracks on the album with the exception of in the closet i think but you got like jam why you want to trip on me she drives me wild can't let it get away and he's, he's just kind of playing around a little bit on those yeah which is cool it's fine also there's there's some odd decisions here like on black or white where it's they got the intro it, you don't we don't need the intro on black or white it's got no relevance oh, yeah it's the, got no relevance yeah, the in the kids. recording yeah it's the fine in the video yeah that's so true yeah it's weird isn't it kind of breaks up the record a little bit and the other thing is uh, with uh will you be there it's beautiful with the cleveland orchestra but it's got such a long intro of the of the orchestra and a long outro with Michael getting very emotional and uh, the orchestra playing. It, it kind of, again, it breaks up the album a little bit. As I say, yeah. probably my favourite Michael Jackson song ever. But when you're listening to the album, it, it breaks it up a little bit. So there's a couple of flaws, I think, in the in the perhaps the sequencing and the and the the selection of tracks and intros and stuff. But yeah, all, all the positives greatly outweigh those minor negatives it's yeah, just a mind-blowing definitely. album everything by the man yeah. everything by the man was mind-blowing yeah totally this was partly co-produced by teddy riley who was the guy who discovered pharaoh williams is it i had no idea yeah yeah he co-produced like half the songs and also i was thinking if you want to know what different decades sound like like the 70s sound like this the 80s sound like this michael jackson is a good indicator of that i think if you look at his music with the Jacksons and Off the Wall album, it's really seventies, you know. And then Bad and yeah. Thriller, it's it's eighties all over. And then this, it's even though it's not only nineteen ninety one, to me this is what the nineties sound like <laughs> as an album. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. He could he could have done two albums out of this, actually. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, yeah. mind blowing. So, 
Great record. Yeah, great, great record. And and it's I think it's underrated. Like people don't really talk about it. They talk about the uh, the ones that came before it. But this has got so many great hits. It's it's brilliant. Really good. Well, it's really hard to follow up. Dangerous, to be honest. But yeah. I've got to, I've got to talk about something. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> Bye. No, another, I want to take the opportunity again, kind of like with Catherine Will. Here's a, here's an album that is perhaps not the biggest album of 1991, but one that I feel deserves a bit more recognition. Definitely already has more recognition than Catherine Will's painful thing, but it still needs a bit of a shining light. And that is Woodface by Crowded House. Crowded House are, they're a band that just, you know, they had amazing success in the Southern Hemisphere. They were the biggest thing that ever came out of New Zealand. But in the Northern Hemisphere, they didn't smash it. You know, they're they're an interesting band because they've got so many hits that most of us recognise. You know, they've they've got a handful of hits that still get regular airplay on classic stations, but are just not held up in the same regard as some of their contemporaries, I think. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I I don't really know. I've never really met anyone who, who raves about crowded house yeah personally but the singles from woodface are on sort of adult pop uh radio stations all the time yeah people do love them but they don't realize that they love them i think that's it yeah that's exactly it so i mean for for people that don't know crowded house at all so they were a new zealand band they formed in the mid 80s they were basically around for about 10 years between the mid 80s to the mid 90s and then they reformed twice in the late 2000s and then again in the late 2010s and they had a very pop rock sound i think i think that they're often classed in jangle pop (laughs) i think the term jangle pop comes from the guitar sound really they got a jangly guitar sound um and quite playful lyrics quite playful lyrics generally they have a few really standout tunes that, like you said, Matt, uh, a lot of people will know. And even if they tell you they've never heard of Crowded House, they'll still... Yeah, um, they know Weather With You. 100% and they do, yeah. Four yep. Your Feet. Yeah, and Woodface was their third studio album. It was their first album, though, to really kind of do anything outside of Australia and New Zealand. So they'd, mm. they'd been a massive name in Australia and New Zealand already by this time, but they'd yet to have anything break the top 40 in the UK. Like I said, it did really well in the UK. It reached number six on our charts, and it also broke the the Billboard's 100 in the US. So yeah, good on them. The album opens with Chocolate Cake, which is a really bizarre tune just to open the album with, and it's a bit of a skipper for me because uh, yeah. I don't know why you would open the album with Chocolate Cake when the next track is It's Only Natural. It's it's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't. It's, I don't know. The really decisions strange. some people make, but it's only natural. It's, it's is it? it was the original, it was the lead single as well, wasn't it? Chocolate Cake. Yeah. <laughs> no, it can't have been. It was, yeah. Oh my gosh. These <laughs> people. <laughs> well, they, they think, well, everybody loves chocolate cake, so we're just going to lure them in with chocolate cake. Maybe that was their thinking. They've got to have had some kind of thinking behind it. It's Only Natural did become a hit in the UK, though. That got to number 24 in the UK. Uh, and it's still played a lot on, yeah. yeah, like you say, classic, easy listening stations here in, in mm-hmm. England. Fall at Your Feet is also there. Weather With You. I mean, Weather With You is a timeless classic. Oh. Everyone talks about 57 Mount Pleasant Street. Brilliant. Yeah, just brilliant album. Brilliant album, brilliant band who definitely deserve more recognition. People should talk more about Crowded House. Their yeah. debut album, self-titled debut album is also really good. So you should listen to that too. The um the front cover of Woodface did did used to creep me out as a kid though. It's not a good. It's not a good. 
In fact, it's worse than not good. It's a bad <laughs> album cover. Like, it is. Like as as a kid, I thought it was some kind of like um, you know goth doom metal band. Oh really? It's, like, <laughs> it's a bit friendly yeah, for that, isn't it? I don't. I don't know. It it does well. I don't know. I mean, it looks a bit creepy. Like a. I suppose it does look creepy. Like pump, yeah. Like a pumpkin face, you know. Yeah, it's like like a, it looks like a wooden floor that's had a face cut out of it. But it's a really irregular face. Like the eyes are two different shapes, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're they're strange. They're holes, but it looks like there's stars in the holes. Yeah. Which is which is strange. Yeah, I don't know. It's not good. It's not Very good. Very odd. Very odd. Yeah. What what else have you got as a as a notable record for the year? Oh well, it's not quite as classy as as uh, crowded house. <laughs> I've got the self titled album by Metallica. The Black Album. Also known as the Black Album, yeah. So, no one calls it the Snake, though, do they? No, no, of course not. No, because no, well, I guess you only know that there's a snake there if you sort of tilt it in the sunlight a l- little bit, and you can see it. Yeah. So if you're a kid in the late '80s and the '90s, and you played rock guitar, then you're probably into Metallica, trying to learn their riffs and their solos. Certainly, a lot of the guitarists that I knew at school, they were learning solos and riffs because that's just what you did. You know, Kirk Hammett was was just the man, the man with the spider fingers, <laughs> as we used to call him. And I think this is such a good album because it mixes amazing chunky riffs and beautiful production, but it's also very accessible. You know, they kind of they they, they reach that balancing act of really chunky, heavy rock and like commercial easy to get into music does does that make sense yeah yeah i think so yeah. I think, like i could say the same thing but not as nice as that in that i would say <laughs> when i was a, a, a teen metallica were a band that a lot of people who were not necessarily into metal mm. would still like metallica which is probably <laughs> probably similar yeah. to what you're saying just uh yeah. not as positive yeah, yeah. sure sure but I mean, after this, they became even more mainstream, and it was it was just it was just shit, basically. Did they still <laughs> have long hair first, at this point? This album, yeah, yes, they still had long hair, and then and then when their hair was cut, it all was downhill from there. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the production is just so good in this, and also it follows and Justice for All, which is an album which is so famous for having terrible sound. And Justice for All has got basically no bass, and the drums sound like they were played on little tin cans. Whereas this is completely opposite; like they've they've upped the bass so much to almost compensate. And oh man, it just I, I could listen to this all day long. It like really fills me up. It fills my head up, and I'm like gorging on these chunky, gooey guitars. I'm like. Oh, this is really yummy yeah and and they're quite slow songs as well compared to the stuff before they, they thought they'd just try and stretch them out a bit it, it works in this I, I would say my criticism for metallica and all their albums is that james hetfield can be a bit awkward in his the way he sings because he takes himself so seriously he does and yeah. everything is is with so much conviction even if even if what he's singing is really cheesy and just a bit crass <laughs> like there's a song called of wolf and man and the the lyrics it, i i think it's about becoming a werewolf and it's 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 odd really odd but otherwise I, I love this album i think it's a classic i think it's like an essential guitar album and i love it absolutely love it yeah unfortunately i have to disappoint you and i don't i don't I like disappointing disagree. you yeah i'd have I to disagree. disagree do you know what so i've 
I've spent my entire life <laughs> disliking Metallica. <laughs> and I think it's so ingrained in me that um, I did listen to this album uh, because you mentioned it earlier in the week. And uh, I think it's good. Like it, it has got good songs on it. And I think they're a good band. I struggle to enjoy it though, because I think I've just, you know, when you just dislike something for so long, <laughs> like I think yeah, a lot of it so is, yeah, I think, I think musically there is fantastic. I do think James Hetfield's voice winds me up a bit and yeah. just as a band, I've just never liked Metallica. And, and, and so even going back and listening to this now, I'm going, Oh, actually the songs are good. It still sounds like Metallica. And I just, it just doesn't click with me. What I dis- I've disliked about Metallica most of my life is what kind of Foo Fighters became. In that, I really liked Foo Fighters when they started out, but then they became the rock band that all the people that didn't like rock listened to. Oh yeah, I love a bit of rock. Yeah. I listen to Foo Fighters, you know. And that's kind of what Metallica are. It's like you know, Joe Bloggs who works in the coffee shop. Oh, I love a love a bit of metal. I listen to Metallica. Oh yeah, okay. Name another metal band. Gone. Oh, Metallica. And that's kind of what they are, isn't it? And because of that, I yeah. always rolled my eyes at Metallica. And any time I heard a, a song, even even the songs I hate, like even Enter Sandman. I'm re- Enter Sandman was like one of the first tunes I learned to play on guitar. And it was a great tune. And then Metallica to me became this this symbol of not quite metal. It's a bit of a shame, I guess. But but yeah, also, James Hetfield is really annoying. <laughs> yeah, I... I- Sometimes I think, oh man, he's just he's just super cheesy, you know, and like, and nothing else matters. Like the the lyrics are just crap, aren't they? Yeah, I, I don't like nothing else matters. Uh, yeah, I think it's a bit cringy, and yeah, it's not great. There there are some great tunes on this record, and I think that yeah. the I think that the music is brilliant, the guitars are brilliant, the bass is brilliant. Like, uh, yeah, I love all that, but I'm probably not going to listen to. Oh, I don't know. I'm probably not going to listen to it again. It's not. It's not. It's not impossible. But that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I always go through a different phase of being into a particular Metallica album out of their first five because they're all they're all brilliant in their own special ways. And this week it's it's the Black Album week. Yeah, embrace it. Yeah. Should we have a quick look at the charts and see just what else was happening? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. The first new number one album of the year, because we came in with a number one, but the first new number one album of the year was uh, Enigma. Yeah. M-C-M-X-C-A-D. <laughs> and what is that in uh, in Real Money? Right, Roman numerals. Um... Something thousand and something ten AD. That's probably 1991, isn't it? Anyway, that's that's what the, the, first, uh, the first number one of the year was in the UK. Enigma, for the uninitiated, were a uh, Romanian-German project. Sex, sexy <laughs> Gregorian chanting different or different music world beat new age electronica and very 90s <laughs> yes absolutely it was acceptable in the 90s we had 24 different uk number one albums in 1991 and queen had two number one albums in 1991 i wonder how they did that i mean it makes sense doesn't it yeah i just wonder you what the other greatest hits number two ah right greatest hits number two okay yeah didn't know that came out in 91 as well. December. Great work. December. Well done, boys. Lenny Kravitz had Mama Said in, um, in 1991. His oh, second cool. studio album. I used to be a, a massive Lenny Kravitz fan. He stopped aging at 36. Did you know that? He, yeah, I think he's a vampire or something. Definitely. He looks younger than his children. 
<laughs> Eventually, they're all going to be like little, little old people. They're going to overtake him. It's bizarre. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Definitely. We had Shepherd Moons by Enya. Oh, Enya. Oh, that Enya with the sound. That was the sound of the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah. Probably. Such a distinctive sound. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Seal by Seal. I used to be really into Seal, actually. He's, he's such a 90s sound, isn't he? Really, really 90s. He is, yeah. We had... Um, the White Room by the KLF. Do you remember the KLF? No. I no, don't okay. So uh, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but were, were the KLF the ones that uh, set fire to a million pounds? I don't know. Oh, I'm having a look. Maybe I'm getting bands mixed up now. Maybe it wasn't them. Reputation as pranksters. But they sound interesting. Illuminatus. They sound like an interesting band. I'll have to check them out. Stars by Simply Red. Oh, there we go. I can't believe we haven't mentioned that until now. Yeah. Simply Red are I mean, another band. They're in, they're in crowded house territory in that they do not get the appreciation they deserve at all. No, they don't. No, because, I mean, as musicians, they are just insanely good. A phenomenal band. Yeah, they were. Yeah, like really groovy, very cool. And uh, I think partly because Mick Hocknell is so charismatic and, like, in your face that a lot of people think Simply Red is just him. It really, really annoys me. Like, Mm. oh, I love Simply Red. He's really cool. Like, no, (laughs) it's a band. You know, like like pop music was originally created for teenagers, and then Simply Red is is a band that's very clearly for adults. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I've never pop, thought of it like that. It? Very mature pop. Yeah, it's very. It, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I'd never thought of it about that, but it's it's very soulful pop, though, isn't it? I mean, they're a, I mean, they're fronted by a white guy, but they're a soul band. Would you not say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely say that. I mean, I'm not just fronted by a white guy. They're fronted by a white guy with ginger dreadlocks. I mean, you couldn't get you couldn't get more out of place if you tried. But look, I'm yeah. not I'm not shitting on Simply Red at all because I love Simply Red. And this album, Stars, was the I mean, it's got For Your Babies, which is probably my favourite Simply Red song. I think it's a beautiful tune. It's got Something Got Me Started. It's got Stars. What an album! Yeah, really. And it's, you basically it's just you're just you're just buying a best of, aren't you? If you buy that album. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Q Magazine have it in their top 100 greatest British albums ever. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant album. Shall we look at singles? Yeah, please do. Yeah, so I was telling you about this. The number one single in the UK for the first two weeks of the year was Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter. That's right. Because they tried to make it a Christmas number one in 1990 and it was released a week late. But it was still number one in the first two weeks of 1991. I mean, that's just that's just wicked. Love so, that. so were they a- actually hoping for a Christmas number one? Yeah, yeah, they were. So, there's a quote from Bruce Dickinson. He said, uh, "We're going to re- release this as a single on Christmas Eve to scare the living daylights out of Cliff Richard, because Cliff Richard was <laughs> <laughs> Cliff Richard was releasing a song The Saviour's Day for 1990 Christmas number one." Oh uh, God. Oh, yeah, and, and, God, and yeah, that would have been um, so good. That would have been so good to to knock Cliff Richard off with that. And the BBC, of course, they they banned the song. They refused to play it on Radio One. They showed a little clip of it on Top of the Pops. Yeah, that was classic nineties BBC behaviour, though. That was. Yeah, they didn't want to play it. So, so that was the first. That was how we opened up the year in the UK. <laughs> yeah, just looking now, there's some uh, there's some big hits. There's some really big hits that year. What Wind of Change by Scorpions came out. Reach number two. Oh yeah, that's a, that's just a brilliant tune. Yeah. Brilliant tune. Um. We had um, "I Want to Sex You Up" by Color Be Bad. We had "The Fly" by U2, one of your favorite bands. Ugh. 
Oh, let's move on. <laughs> and of course, Black and White by Michael Jackson, because it was a humongous song and the video, yeah, as I said before, it, it premiered across the world and yeah, everyone watched it. And it just blew everyone's minds because of the, the special effects and the... Yeah, Michael Jackson at that time, I mean, t- things changed. I, I guess like a decade later, it was quite normal to have really theatrical music videos. But even at that time, by the early 90s, Michael Jackson was still still really ahead of the game in, in that regard. Like, he, no one was really doing music videos like him. I mean, you know, he, I mean, like he got famous Hollywood directors to direct his videos. You yeah. know? And, and like the, the number of, I mean, we're changing the subject a bit, but everyone who's in the, the video for Liberian Girl. Oh, the music video for Liberian Girl is just like, it's, I mean, we could do a whole episode insane. just on that video, couldn't we? Insane. Absolutely insane. There's a guy in the in the music video to Liberian Girl that's dressed like a mummy. Yes. And uh, it's the only person that's not written in the credits. And there's a lot of speculation yes. online as to who the mummy was. Uh, no one knows. No one knows who the mummy was. And it's 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 possibly just nobody. It's just like an extra. But it's... Uh, yeah. It's garnered lots of conversation over the years. It's yeah, it's one of those cool little musical mysteries, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Biggie was uh Brian Adams. Oh see, I was gonna say that Biggie was uh Chesney Hawks, the one and only. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's also the Biggie, yeah. That was like the second Biggie, wasn't it? You know, you know what? I I, I generally thought this song was an eighties song. I don't know why, because it is quite I don't know. Oh, the one and only is very eighties. It's I I just always assumed it was an eighties song. Like there it is in yeah. ninety one. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a very eighties sounding tune. Um, and also it won't be on your list of number ones there, but I'm too sexy by Right Said Fred. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, classic. I, I don't know if the American listeners will know I'm too sexy because I'm I'm not entirely sure that Right Said Fred broke anything outside of <laughs> outside of the UK. I do remember when we researched for the Faith No More episode, there was an interview with Mike Patton. They were talking to him about his influences for this, the the album Angel Dust. Uh-huh. And he was saying like, oh yeah, right, said Fred, that, that's that's one of my influences. And he starts singing this song. Oh my God. Too sexy. <laughs> All right. I think we've, yeah, uh, have we done 1991 to death? I think, I think so. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. All right, Matt. Was that the the most fun you've ever had? Uh, it's it's up there. Yeah, I, I didn't expect us to talk so much. I don't know how much has been left in the edit. I've cut yeah, cut out everything you said. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, this has definitely been the most we've talked for any episode because it's just been it was that kind of year, wasn't it? Incredible. It really was. So much going. On, so much to talk about, and so many legendary albums. Brilliant. So I can't remember who it was who suggested 1991, but you're a genius. Uh, anything else from you, Matthew? Um, um, no, I'm absolutely exhausted, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's late, isn't it? I've got nothing else to say except check out all this cool music, and that's it. That's it. All right, so don't forget that we're taking a break now. This is the end of season two. We made it to the end of another season. We're super grateful to everyone who is listening to us, who has downloaded an episode, has recommended it to a friend. Just, yeah, really awesome. Really awesome that people are still interested. Stay tuned. We'll be back at the end, uh, first week of November for season three. And in the meantime, if you're a super fan of anyone, any band at all, any artist, singer, musician, get in touch with us. Uh, contact us via the contact form on superfannews.net and we'll get you on to an episode of season three. 
yeah, I mean, even if you think it's really obscure, some of the more obscure artists we've covered have been really interesting for us. Really good. Yeah, especially if you think it's really obscure. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. apologize. Just, just tell us. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, stay in touch with us on socials as well. Find us on Twitter, on Facebook. And you can always drop us an email to superfancast at outlook.com. Keep rocking. Keep rocking.